if I could just have your attention for a minute. The Apostle Paul wrote more of the New Testament than anyone else. He has a lot to say to us. This summer, we are going to take a few weeks to try to get a look at the world of the Apostle Paul through his eyes, in his words. Sometimes, hearing the story in a different way helps certain details to come alive and make better sense to us. We are hoping that by presenting background information along with a narrative, the stories of Paul will have power to cross two centuries of time and inform our lives today. We also want to engage our kids, for whom visual images are more powerful than the spoken word alone. It may be even true that Paul can say some things that it might be hard for Pastor Dan to say. Who knows? Here is the problem. Whenever we put on costumes, there are those who switch into entertainment mode. In entertainment mode, people feel free to accept or ignore what they hear based on their own preferences. Performances succeed or fail based on whether the audience feel entertained, whether the character held interest, or based on the cleverness of the story. Our only reason for doing something like this is to gain a new hearing for the gospel message. We want to be clear about one important fact. This is not entertainment. This is preaching. Whatever it is to be said has its foundation in scripture and study and research. We will be deeply saddened if the response we get from this series is, you guys did a really great job with that, assuming we do manage to pull this off, which is far from certain. We will feel that the extra work was worth it if we hear things like, Paul suffered greatly for the cause of Christ, didn't he? Or, the times in which Paul lived were really dangerous, weren't they? Or, we have it a lot easier than the early disciples did, don't we? Do you get the idea? This project will be successful if you understand these early disciples better and you hear the heart of Paul for the Gentiles around the world. If by the end you understand Paul's commitment to the message of the transforming free grace of God, then we will all be better off. If at the end of July you are able to say with greater enthusiasm, I want to know Christ, this will be time well spent. I need a helper this morning, and that helper is Nate Seahigh. So Nate has a scroll. Nate and I have been practicing our Greek this week. So Nate has a scroll which one kiddo, I'll be looking for kiddos for the next eight weeks, so I'm, I'm looking for volunteers for the next eight weeks. So I'll need a kiddo each week to read from this scroll, the original Greek phrase across the top, Paul's words, I want to know Christ. So we're going to let Nate read the original Greek, and we'll see what happens. Nate, we're going to stand over here, buddy. 
So I want you to I want you to stand here and face that direction. I'm going to give you the mic. You say the magic words. Delo na noriso ton crystal. I thought I heard someone out here. Maranatha. I'm so pleased you came to visit me. I'm assuming that because you came, you're, you're interested in my story. My name is Paul. I'm the least of the apostles of Jesus Christ and of those still alive, probably the one nearest death. I'm here in Rome. I've appealed my trial to the emperor and I'm in house arrest. But I've got to tell you, this courtyard in the house of arrest is much more pleasant than many of the jails in which I've spent time previously. I don't mind being in jail all that much because you see, I've learned the secret of what it means to be content. And if you stay with me long enough, maybe at some point I'll share that secret with you. If you're to know my story, the first thing you ought to know is that I have always lived to please God. All my life, from my earliest days, I lived to please God. I grew up in the city of Tarsus. Tarsus is in the northeastern corner of the Mediterranean Sea, situated on the Sidnus River. And so it was an important trading city. It had its own gymnasium. It had its own outstanding academy. It was an ancient city that was thousands of years old at the time I was there. It was an important trading city. 300 years or so before I was born, Alexander the Great, you may have heard of him, conquered this whole region of the world, really all the known world, and with him he brought Greek culture, Greek language, and Greek religion. That caused a clash of cultures, as you can imagine. Before that, if you remember the history of our people, the Jewish people, in around 586, Babylon came and wiped out Jerusalem and carried us off, and, and as a people, we were scattered. Some 70 years later, we started to come back, but when we came back, this mixing of cultures things made things confusing for us Jews. There were wars fought in the years after that among our own people, between those who were more influenced by the Greek culture and those who wanted to stay true to the Hebrew culture. And, and it was a very, very confusing time. I grew up in Tarsus. But by the age of 15, I left Tarsus and traveled east and south to Jerusalem, where I studied with the conservative rabbi, the scholar Gamaliel. Gamaliel was a Pharisee, like my family. He, well, do you understand what Pharisee means? You know, among the Jews, we have different factions, like in most countries, and there are at least four among us. The zealots, the zealots were the folks who were very militaristic, violent, I think. And their main preoccupation was to throw off Roman oppression, to liberate Israel. 
And so they invested all their energy in that. I don't know how much attention they paid to Torah, but they, they want to be free. I can understand that, but I don't know that violence is the way forward. And then there are the Essenes. The Essenes are more pacifistic, withdrawn. They want to separate from society altogether. They want to be contemplative and quiet and, and sort of hide from the rest of the world. The Sadducees, the third group, they're, they're the aristocratic elite of the crowd. They've caved to all the ways of Greek culture, and, and they, their theory is you have to accommodate in order to stay in power. And so they, whatever Rome asks, they do what Rome says, and, and they want to protect their power, and, and, you know, they're not my favorite. They don't have the same passion that we Pharisees have for Torah. We are deeply consumed with the holiness of the law that God has given to us. We want every Jew everywhere to love God and, and embrace the scripture and, and to live their lives in conformity to the law that we've been given. And we are, we're passionate about that. I mean, I've always been passionate about living to please God and, and about my identity in God. I mean, you may have heard me say that I'm a member of the tribe of Benjamin, that I was a Pharisee, am a Pharisee, from a family of Pharisees. My given name is Saul, who is the first king of Israel. I'm from a great and ancient city, Tarsus, and that means I'm a citizen of Cilicia, which is the province in which Tarsus exists, but also a city of Rome, because Cilicia is a Roman province. I grew up and was given the trade of a tent maker so that I could support myself even while I furthered my education in Jerusalem, studying, studying under Gamaliel. I'm a passionate Pharisee. And I've got to tell you, I'm offended by way, the way the Sadducees live. I'm offended by their approach to God, but not as offended as I was by this new group of Jews who began to talk about this Jesus character. I didn't understand them at all. It may be that when you're so caught up in your own plans and passions, it's hard to listen to what anybody else has to say. I mean, that was me, all talk, no listen. I could have known the truth so much sooner. I was present the day that Stephen spoke. Stephen was a rabble-riser. He got everybody excited in the, in the synagogue and created great division among us. I heard his every utterance, but I didn't really hear a word that he said because I wasn't listening. Stephen was a man of grace and humility in his service to others. But we got tired of the way he got everybody worked up. And finally, he was pressed to defend himself. And on one day, he was forced to stand, I gotta tell you, the audience wasn't particularly receptive, and explain exactly what he believed about this Jesus character. And he started by outlining all the history of Israel. And I gotta tell you, 
he didn't do it in a way that was very encouraging to us. He started with the story of Abraham and how God created Israel through Abraham and the promises that he gave to Abraham and how eventually we were not going to receive them. He talked about the jealousy of the patriarchs. You remember the story. Joseph, the father among 12, but his brothers, they were sort of unseemly characters. And we trace our heredity to them, but Stephen reminded us how jealous they were of their brother Joseph and about their character flaws. He told us about, he reminded us about the fact that when Moses came to liberate the people the first time, they betrayed him to the Egyptian overlords and he had to leave for 40 years. And that when Moses eventually came back to liberate the people, that once they got across the Red Sea, the people started grumbling again and complaining about food and about water. And it wasn't but 15 minutes after Moses comes down the mountain with the tablets that Israel's already worshiping a golden calf because we have difficulty following through. Stephen outlined the fact that we had the witness of the tent of the meeting with us through that whole 40 years in the desert. The visible presence of God was with us and we still complained and griped. We stood there as a people and watched the walls of Jericho come tumbling down and we still complained and grumbled. We stood in front of Solomon's great temple, saw the majesty of it, experienced the glory of God in that temple and still we complained and grumbled and sought after foreign gods. And then Stephen said, you stiff-necked people, you always grieve the Holy Spirit. His doom was sealed at that point. He went on to say, now you've killed the righteous one. By that he meant John the Baptist. The one who would predict the coming of the Messiah and you didn't even stop there. You killed the Messiah himself. The people were beside themselves. They rose, they rushed him, they stoned him right there. It was inevitable given the way he was speaking. It was frightening at some level because the Jews didn't have the right to kill anybody. Power of life and death was reserved by the Roman authorities. But this was a lynching. It had nothing to do with justice. To my shame, I have to admit, I didn't lose any sleep when it happened. I was there. I saw everything. I confess I was a little surprised at what Stephen was saying. Stephen was just a deacon, which meant he served the food to the widows. It's not like we were bringing the major representative of the Jesus followers to talk to us. We got one of the waiters in to speak. He spoke to us, and, and even though he must have known his life was on the line, he spoke boldly, without fear. There was, there was something about his presence that day that was captivating. I couldn't believe 
He had the courage to say the things that he was saying. Not that that helped me hear what he was saying. The truth was spoken that day, and I could have heard it, but I didn't. I wonder, can we ever hear the truth when it is spoken in the mouths of our enemies? Do we listen? Or do all we ever care about is speaking what we think is important? Stephen's last words were, these haunt me at some level. Forgive them, don't hold this sin against them. How do you, how do you forgive the people who are stoning you to death? How much of what you believe is based on what you've been told rather than what has been confirmed to you by the Holy Spirit? What if some of the things you believed all your life turned out to not be true? Do you really trust the Holy Spirit to lead you into truth? It was a lesson we would have to learn. You remember the story of my colleague Peter, right? He falls into a trance. The sheet is lowered from heaven three times. The voice from heaven says, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter says, no, Lord, I've never eaten anything unclean. Three times it happens. And then Cornelius in another part of the area, he's praying and, and he gets instructions to send for Peter and they come together and, and this law that we've been so careful to observe for all these years somehow becomes not as important as it once was because something more important has arrived. The ministry of the Holy Spirit. But we get caught up in our plans and we get caught up in our identities and we, we forget who the Holy Spirit is. After Stephen died, a persecution broke out against the followers of Jesus. Many were scattered around the area. I confess I continued to pursue them getting official warrants from the high priest to throw those followers in jail so that it wouldn't disrupt our community of faithfulness in Jerusalem. But I would learn in time that the truth had been present that day, that these folks who were fleeing for their lives knew what they were talking about, and they had decided that some things were worth dying for. And I wonder, do we know the difference between what's worth living for and what's worth dying for? Do we know what's really important? Up until that period of life, I would have told you that my identity as a Jew was the most important thing there was in my life. Now I look back. Benjamin... Pharisee, citizen, it's garbage, it's dung. 
compared to that which is the greatest of all, knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord. You know, here in, here in Rome, we don't have the same kind of observances of our Jewish holidays as they do back in Jerusalem. And I'm confident back in Jerusalem in just about a week, the Jews of the area will be gathering again to celebrate Pentecost as we do every year. And I'll be praying from my prison here that on Pentecost Day, the Holy Spirit will give me a renewed ability to face whatever is ahead. I don't know what tomorrow holds for me. I know that I have been led by the Spirit to present the gospel to the emperor, and I will do that by his grace. I'm wondering what the Spirit will lead you to do. I wonder if you will listen to what the Holy Spirit says. I wonder if you will do what the Spirit says. I wonder if you will recognize his truth when he brings it to you. I pray that you will. Maranatha. Would you receive the benediction? May the God of our Lord, the Almighty Father, give you wisdom and peace and his comforting spirit that you may know his hope, that you may know his riches, and that you may know his mighty strength to the praise of his glorious grace. Amen. You are dismissed.